pray. Dear God, there are some glorious truths that baptism points toward. There's incredible realities that we have been united with you, Lord Jesus, that you carried us through your life into death, into resurrection and new life and beyond. And so I pray that as we look at what it means to be with you right now, that you would just fill and encourage our hearts with this truth and that you would let them change us so that we can see this new life incarnated a little bit more fully in our everyday lives here for your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So in 2018, my wife Allison won a $12,000 vacation package for a trip to two, for two to Tahiti. So it was uh, an Instagram competition that was done by Estee Lauder and Expedia. You bought this bag of makeup, took a picture wearing the makeup, and then they picked their favorite photo and you won the trip. A photographer friend of hers told her about it and kind of helped her take the picture and everything. My primary contribution was saying things like, this is a scam. You know, There's no way this is real. There's a catch. There's a hook. There's something, something, something. Uh, but she won the trip. And despite my lack of contribution, and despite the fact that her mom was angling to be the plus one who went with her on this trip for two, she picked me to get to go to her, uh, go to Tahiti with her on one of the most absurdly awesome vacations we'll probably ever go on on this side of eternity. Um, and turned out to have no hooks whatsoever. It's like not even a timeshare pitch, you know, just it gave it to us. Um, so it was a grace, felt like a grace to both of us, but it was even more of a grace to me because I contributed nothing to this whole thing. Uh, and nonetheless, I got to go on this trip with her. So I was with her, and so I got to go along for the ride. In the verses that we read this morning, we see a very similar phrase and concept. So instead of, I'm with her, it's, we're with him. In the verses we read, we see, with him or with Christ, six times. Six times in these verses. Um, and Paul says it to the Colossians over and over again. Because he wants them to see the faith symbolized by your baptism, which is sort of his starting point here, but the faith symbolized by it ties your story to Jesus' story. It ties you to him so that you're with him. You were with him back then. You're with him now. You're going to be with him in the future. Where he's been, you've been. Where he is, you are. We are. And where he's going, so are we. We're with him. And so today we're going to look kind of under this heading of we're with him. Uh, and we're going to begin by looking at, I'm calling it six photos. Six photos under we're with him. Because each of these phrases is sort of like a photo from a trip. Just like we could take you through like the little chat book we had printed uh, from our trip to Tahiti and say like, here's where we were and here's where we did this and here's where we had this amazing meal. Um, this passage shows us even more six photos of the journey that we've been on and are on and will be on because we're with him. We're with Christ. And as great as our vacation was, this journey is far, far greater 
And so let's look first at these six photos. So photo one is we died with Christ. We died with Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says, having been buried with him in baptism. So what he says is that when Jesus died and was buried, so were we. Human sin, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. And so my sin merits my death. But when Jesus died, because I'm with him, I died that death that I had to die because he died it for me. And so when he was buried, I was buried too. My death has been done in a sense. My death as a punishment for my sin. It's happened already with him 2,000 years ago on that hill outside Jerusalem. Photo two, we were raised with him. We were raised with him. Verse 12 again, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. See, Jesus died and then God recreated that dead man on the far side of death in a new physical body that can't be touched by suffering or evil anymore. And when he did that, because we're with him, he recreated us too. He guaranteed us that one day, just like Jesus has been made a new creation, so are we going to be, that I'm on the far side of my own death for sin. I have been raised again with Christ to be prepared for that new physical body. Photo three, we're made alive with him. We're made alive with him. Chapter two, verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses, And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. See, this part isn't about our bodies being made alive, because Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is about our souls being made alive. See, in Jesus' human life, he carried sort of humanity 1.0 around with him. That he took on our nature that, among other things, is prone to just radical selfishness, to live for my own comfort, my own pleasure, my own glory, and not God's, and certainly not for the good of other people. That's what I'm bent to do. We fail at that all the time. We succumb to that temptation all the time, but he never did. He lived his entire life against that headwind, against that pressure, and he resisted all of it, obeying God perfectly against the inclinations of that humanity 1.0. And so then when he was made alive on the far side of death, he became humanity 2.0. He became the seed of a human nature that has no hint anymore of not just physical weakness anymore, but spiritual weakness. No hint of a desire to disobey God's glory uh, for his own or to put himself above others. And so when we come to him by faith, when we're with him, it says we are also made alive in the same way. We're not made sinless. We're going to talk about that. Um, But we receive the spirit of humanity 2.0. And God starts treating us as if that's who we are instead. And we begin this new life of learning to and growing in the ability to sort of deny humanity 1.0 in ourselves and live for God's glory and the good of others instead. That's what it means to be made alive with him in this moment. Photo four. We're raised to heaven with him. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. See, now this one isn't just about being raised from the dead. After Jesus was resurrected, uh, after a period of about 40 days, he, what we call, ascended to heaven, which is where he was sort of removed from the earthly plane, the earthly dimension of physical things that we can see, and he was brought up to heaven, which is a place where God dwells and is seen and known and worshipped perfectly right now. It's sometimes called the throne room of God or the throne room of creation, the presence of God. Jesus was taken there. Uh, We might get to preach on that one day and kind of unpack that some more. It's an amazing truth, the ascension. But Jesus has been crowned king of the entire creation because of his perfect obedience and because he was God the Son. And so when this verse says that he's seated at the right hand of God, that means he's on the throne of the creation. And because we're with him, we're there too right now. That's where we are. Our real life is this moment. As our closing song, which we're going to sing later on, um, we're going to sing Before the Throne of God Above, which is one of my absolute favorite hymns. Here's its first verse. It goes, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no power can force me to depart. See, Jesus is our great high priest who's taken us with him before the throne of God itself. While he's there, so are we. And nothing can and no one will force us to depart. That's where our life is. Photo five. We're in God. This is chapter three, verse three. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, Jesus has returned to the presence of the Father. God the Son has been reunited with God the Father. And because he took us with him, we have been reunited with God the Father. That's where our real life is right now. If you know Josh and Beth Hikes, you know that they recently adopted their daughter Rosie from an orphanage in India. Rosie was born in India. She grew up the first year, you know, plus year and change of her life there. And she met Josh and Beth for the first time in India. But there came a point in the adoption process where the final papers were signed, and all of a sudden, Rosie, still in India, had a new family, a new life, and even a new home that was in another country. She joined a new family while she was still in her present state. That's kind of like what this photo shows, that we're here in this country of mortality and struggle. This is where we've met Jesus, if we believe in him. But because he's taken us with him, there's a point where we have a new family and a new home in another country, that we've been adopted by God into a new life altogether, that he's made a place for us in him, with him. And that's what this verse is saying that we've received. And then finally, photo six, if you look at verse four, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. 
So photo six is we appear with him in glory. One day Jesus is going to come back. The hope of Christianity isn't, uh, you know, like one sad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away up in the clouds somewhere and then be done. That's a super catchy song. It gets at something good, but it's not the end of the story. Um, The hope of Christianity is that one day Jesus is going to come back to earth and he's going to recreate it without any sin or suffering or death. Um, You know, the prophets say he's going to, the earth is going to be filled with his glory like the waters cover the sea. And that glory is going to completely transform the entire creation, Um, the physical world, you know, the stones of the earth, us, you know, everyone who trusts in him, and it's going to be a new, glorified, eternal, this world creation. And if we've placed our faith in him, if we've been with him through baptism, if we're with him now, then one day we also are going to be with him in that glory, free of our own sin, free of suffering, free of the power of death to enjoy that life forever. So that's where our journey with him, you could say ends, but it doesn't end. You know, it's, it goes on forever and ever and ever, but that's the last chapter in this journey. And so that's what we have to look forward to. That's who we are if we're with him. Death, resurrection, new life, raised to heaven, united to God, returning in glory. That's where Jesus has been, where he is, where he's going. And if we're with him by faith, that's where we're going to. That's our story as well. Not because we've done anything, but because he's done it all, we've received it by faith. And if you're here today and you're hearing this for the first time, or maybe you've heard it for a while, and but you're hoping this could be true of you, if you want to be with him and you're not sure if you are, it's very easy. So last week, Paul told us the story of, uh, we call him the thief on the cross. We don't even know his name. We'll learn it one day. But one of the thieves who was crucified beside Jesus hanging on the cross beside him. Uh, One, he probably wasn't just like a pickpocket. You usually didn't get crucified unless you were something like a murderer as well. So odds are he was worse than just a common thief. He was completely guilty of his crime. He'd never done anything that we know of to merit Jesus's approval or God's attention. But while he's hanging there, he asks Jesus, he says, Jesus, would you please remember me when you come into your kingdom? So what he's saying there is, Jesus, would you please accept me for no reason? I have nothing to offer, no reason you should accept me. Would you please accept me? And Jesus says, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. He says, in a few hours on the far side of the cross, you are going to be with me despite your having done absolutely nothing to deserve it. All you've done is ask for it. That's what it takes. That's all it takes. Jesus, would you please accept me? So just if that's something that you feel moved to do, you're welcome to just pray that prayer. You can pray it in your seat, you know, kind of while we're going through this worship service. I'd love to talk with you after. Paul would love to talk with you after if that's something you have prayed or are thinking about because that's that's what it takes. That's all it takes to be with him. So that's the new life that baptism represents in those six photos. But that's not all that baptism represents. 
the baptism, this truth that we're with him, it also points us to a new pattern. It points us to a new form of life. So six photos we looked at and one pattern, and this is the, the last thing that we'll look at today. So this is the pattern set by we're with him. Let's look at Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 again. Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, that's not just a set of words to say or a a thing to believe and kind of put into your head. Baptism and the death and resurrection that baptism symbolizes points us toward a new pattern of life. See, if my real life now is with Christ in heaven, then I'm going to live for that new life more than for just this world around me, whatever script is going on around me. If my real inheritance, if my real treasure and hope is up there, if it's eternal life with him in the new creation, then I'm going to live by that pattern instead of uh, the stuff around me. Most likely, you've seen some version of The Lion King. So there's the original Disney animated version. There's the remake with kind of the uncanny CGI. You know, even the stage version. You kind of get the sense of the story uh, from all three. Uh, For the three to five of you who haven't seen it, um, The Lion King is about a young lion named Simba, who's the son of the king, Mufasa. Mufasa is murdered by his brother. Um, It's a great kids movie. Um, Really fun to watch with them. Um, (laughs) And the the brother makes Simba think that it's Simba's fault his dad dies. And he says, you've got to run away. No, Simba believes him and he flees. And he's taken in by this kindly warthog and meerkat who um, raise him up according to their philosophy of life, uh, which is symbolized by the phrase hakuna matata. Um, And they just live by taking it easy. You kind of do the bare minimum to get by. You forage for food, you know, like grubs and bugs and stuff like that. Um, spend as much time as you can just hanging out, playing in the water, uh, you know, kicking back, taking things easy. Um, it's really hard for us to imagine that living in a beach town like Wilmington. But there are people who live uh, according to this life. Um, but uh, the, the dramatic kind of hinge of the movie is when some characters from Simba's past, they come after him to try to bring him back. And when they're doing that, he has this vision of his father, and his father says, you are more than what you have become. Remember who you are. You are my son, and you're the true king of this people. See, Simba's needed, and he needs to be reminded of who he is, that he's more than what he's become in the moment. He needs to remember who he is. And that's not just so he can, you know, kind of recall these facts again and then keep living his Hakuna Matata life. He needs to remember who he is and then live into that identity of who he really is and become the, the lion, become the king that he actually is. He needs to live out his true identity. That's kind of what it is for us as well as Christians, that we receive this new life, and we really do receive it entirely by grace. Uh, It's as easy as we talked about. But this new life has its own pattern, its own ways of living, and you can't have both. You know, Simba couldn't be the king and also, uh, you know, the Hakuna Matata life. They don't coexist together. In the same way, when we become Christians and we enter into the life of heaven, 
we have a new pattern that we take up that just doesn't fit with just the life of mere kind of earthly goods anymore. And we have to remember who we are and live that life instead. And Paul goes on to tell us what this means. So if you look at verse 5 again of chapter 3, he says, Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So Paul goes on, kind of in further verses, to lay out the earthly way of life. So the ways that everyone who thinks their real life is just here and now tends to live. So the life of heaven isn't a covetous life of always kind of scheming and scraping to get more stuff together. It's not a life of sexual sin. So Jesus says, actually, in another place, there's no sexuality at all in heaven. And there's certainly not sexual infidelity, pornography, things like that. Paul goes on to list things like anger, slander, and lying. He says those are all part of the life of hell, not the life of heaven. He says in verse 6 that on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And so if we're with Christ, if we're living the life of heaven, then things like this, they just don't belong. They're not going to be part of who we are then, and so they can't be part of who we are now. They don't fit with this new life that we have. And they have to be put to death. And now it's worth noting that what put to death, uh, you know, what it does and it doesn't mean. So in our language, put to death sounds like execution. You know, it's like I drag my covetousness out in the backyard and I bury it. And then I walk in, you know, brushing my hands and say, great, next up, you know, greed or pride. Um, that's not how life works. And anyone who's been a Christian for more than a month can tell you that's not how life works. It sticks around a little tougher than that. Um, put to death is more like starving. So it's refusing to indulge this desire that I have for these things so that that desire gradually gets weaker instead of stronger. Um, It's more like how managing an addiction works. So if I'm addicted to alcohol or nicotine or pornography or my phone, I have this desire for it, this itch that sometimes gets to feeling overwhelming and I can think like, ah, if I just indulge this one time, then the craving will go away and I'll be fine and I'll do better the next time. But that's not how it works. We know this. We can see it even kind of neurologically uh, with the imaging things that we have, the technology we have. Um, indulging the desire shapes my brain to want it again, like flexing a muscle makes it stronger. And the more that I do that, uh, I'm going to want it more urgently the next time around. So the only thing that makes an addiction go away is kind of gradually starving it and cultivating other appetites, other desires, so that it sort of withers and dies away on its own. That's what dealing with our earthly nature is like. Um, It doesn't vanish. Some temptations might vanish by the grace of God, and we celebrate that when it happens. There's going to be, there might be part of me that just still wants to get angry and just enjoy and savor that feeling, but that's not who I am anymore. That's a part of me that was left in the grave when I was buried with Jesus. And so my life with him means that when I feel that rise up, I say, no, I'm not going to indulge that. I'm not going to flex that muscle. I'm not going to give in to that desire. I'm going to find something else to do, something else to think about so that I'm living the better life than that one that I left behind. So that's what it means to put something to death in us in this stage. So if you're a Christian and you have the faith that's symbolized in baptism, 
you've died to all the things that Paul lists out there. And so we need to be regularly checking our hearts against passages like this and just asking, is there some way that I'm not living my real life right now, that I'm living this thing that I should have left behind, that I've died to? Is there some habit? Is there some desire that I'm tempted to indulge that I need to let die out instead? When we bring that to our community, if you've got a Christian community, and if you don't, that's part of my job. So please come talk to me. I can help you with that. But we bring it to our community and we say, uh, I need you to help me with this. Help me see this desire starved out of my life so I can be living the life of heaven. So that's part of the pattern is putting to death what's earthly in us. And the flip side of seeking the things that are above, the flip side of the pattern of heaven is that I have something to put on as well. So let's look at verses uh, 12 and 13 again of chapter 3. Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. See, the pattern signified by baptism, dying with Christ and rising with him, includes positive new ways of living. It includes rising to, uh, you know, now I get to the joy of following the pattern of heaven in my life on earth. That's what God's looks like, world looks like right now, and it's what's going to fill the new creation for eternity. And so what does this life look like? It looks like loving others instead of myself. So compassion, kindness, bearing with others, forgiving, those are all saying that your good matters more than mine that I don't have to take from you or use you to my advantage. I can serve you so that you are advantaged over me. Humility, meekness, and patience, those are kind of the self-restraining or self-denying virtues that let me get myself out of the way so I can make that love possible. So they're not the end of themselves, but my humility makes more room in my life to serve you and your good. So there's this relational, horizontal dimension to the life of heaven. It changes how we relate to other people. And it also changes how we relate to God, the vertical dimension. Uh, a few verses down in verses 16 and 17, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So in other words, saturate yourself with the truths of God because that's the life of heaven. It helps you see by faith now what you'll see in reality one day. And then whatever you do, he says, in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let every action be something that would bring glory to God or that I could do conscious of being with Christ in what I do. That doesn't mean just doing churchy things. Uh, it means that I do all the regular things of life, that I work, I go to school, I study, I go grocery shopping, I spend time with people, I go to the beach but I do them in a way that celebrates and points to the greatness of God and brings honor to him because that's the life of heaven. It's knowing God on an ever deeper level and worshiping him on an ever fuller level. And so we prepare ourselves for that with how we live. And Paul says the verb he uses for this is put on these things. Now, when we hear put on, we might hear something that sounds like pretending, uh, you know, faking kindness to someone's face and then gossiping about them behind their back. I'm sure you've never met that before, and so we have to imagine, hypothetically, that things like that happen. Um, but that's not what Paul means by put on. See, putting on the life of heaven is more like practicing 
than pretending. See, our worship team did a fantastic job leading us in worship this morning. But the reason they did a fantastic job in the moment is because, one, they've been practicing their instruments for, you know, years and years before this moment. And they even took the songs that we, you know, kind of played through and sang through, and they practiced them more this morning. Did the practice sound as good as it did when we sang it here? Probably not. But that's not the point. The point is that they practiced it. They, um, they went through the motions. They went through the rhythms and the chord changes and everything else of these songs so that when the time came to perform them, they were ready. They didn't have to get it perfect, but they did it so they could do it better. That's what putting on the Christian life looks like. It doesn't mean just putting on a mask and then taking it off and saying, whoo, I can cut that out now. It's saying, this is the life that I'm called to live it's not where I am right now, maybe. It may not be where my heart is, but I'm going to choose to do it in the hopes that that practice will help God, or, you know, God will use it to bring my heart more in line with it so that it becomes more natural to me over time. Because I care enough about that life of heaven, I want to be ready for it. And so I practice it here so I get ready for it there. And so that's, you know, kind of the Personal application is the same uh, as for the, the putting off part of the putting to death part. We read about the life of heaven and we ask God and maybe we ask other people to show us, hey, is there something I need to be practicing more? Is there something, humility, kindness, uh, holiness, self-control, you know, whatever it might be, is there something I need more of in my life? And then can you help me do this? Can you ask me about it? Can you give me verses or truths or anything else that encourages me so I can keep practicing this way of life, this life of heaven more faithfully, this life that I have with Christ. And here's just a last note before we close. And as this last note, I just want to remind us that the order of the things we talked about today really matters. It actually makes all the difference in the world. Because if we put them wrong, then we'll start to think, I have to do all of these things to earn the life of heaven so that I can you know, be worthy of being with Christ one day. I have to put all this junk in my life to death. I have to put on all of these things. And then if I do that enough, then maybe one day God will accept me because I've done enough of the right things and avoided enough of the wrong things. Um, and then when I fail and I get overwhelmed with my lack of progress, not if, but when, then I'll be tempted to despair and just think I'm never going to make it. And if that was the order, that would be right. But the truth of Christianity is that being united to Christ by faith comes first. And then the life transformation comes after, downstream, as a fruit of that. The thief on the cross didn't get to do any life transformation. And he was in paradise within hours of meeting Jesus. We're joined to him by faith. We're taken to heaven. We're taken up with him by faith through grace. And that's what encourages us to put our sin to death and to practice our real life. That's what we lean on in the struggle, is what Paul says in uh, verse 12. He says, you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and so you put on these things. All right, we're going to close here. We're going to sing before the throne of God above. I read the first verse earlier. Let me just read part of the last. It says, one with my Lord, I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is safe with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God.
my life is safe with Christ on high. It's safe because it's been purchased by his blood, not by my perfection. It's safe because he's taken me there, my Savior and my God. And when he appears, we will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we're with you. We're with you by your grace, which we receive through faith. And just as we're joined uh, symbolically to you through the death and resurrection of baptism, we're joined to you all the way to heaven and the presence of God right now, to glory and the new creation for eternity in the future. I pray that you would encourage us with these truths. And I pray that you would help us live faithfully the pattern of heaven now. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you.